Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you enjoy the teachings from Beth Emanuel, share the links with your friends. Like us on Facebook and tell your friends about the things you are learning at Beth Emanuel. Help us grow the message. As we study our way through the Genesis narratives this year, we are following the theme of walking with God. That is to say, the practice of the presence of God. And last week, I spoke about this in terms of Joseph's life. We saw that Joseph maintained a relentless optimism and confidence in the goodness of God, regardless of what life dished out to him. God was always upon Joseph's lips and upon his mind. Every conversation with Joseph came back to a God-centered perspective. That's because Joseph walked with God, just as his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, walked with God, just as his forebears, Noah, Lamech, Methuselah, and Enoch, walked with God. It's a different type of halakha. It's the walk of godliness that transcends nationality, gender, and social station. It's the secret to a joyful life and the path to emulating our Master's unbroken communion with the Father so that we may be in the Messiah as He is in the Father and the Father is in Him and they in us and we in them. That's the objective. Last week, we saw that Joseph walked with God regardless of his circumstances because he maintained unwavering trust in God. This lesson can be summed up in a single Hebrew word, Bitachon, that is, trusting. If that sounds familiar, it might be that you listened to last week's teaching, or it might be that you heard this same teaching from me seven or eight years ago. This is not completely new material. I presented all of this about seven or eight years ago, also recorded these thoughts for Torah Club 5 audio titled Depths of the Torah. But I am grateful to have a chance to revisit it with you in the broader context of our theme for Bereshit, of walking with God. Last week, we discussed two principles of Bitchon. Number one, everything that happens is from heaven. From our perspective, within the world of chaos, everything that happens arises out of randomness and chaos and occurs only as a matter of cause and effect. From God's perspective, there is no randomness or chaos. God is in charge, and he can intervene at any moment if he chooses to do so. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. John 3.27 Number two, God is good. Even though bad things do happen and evil is real, ultimately, God is good and he does good for those he loves, like a good father does for his children. Because he is good, he is trustworthy. The Apostle Paul expressed these ideas with the often repeated statement, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 Similarly, the Didache says, Accept the things that happen to you as good, knowing that apart from God, nothing comes to pass. Bitachon can be illustrated with the story of the sage named Nachum of Gimso. From the days of the apostles, everyone called him Gamzola, Nachum this too, because no matter what happened, he would always say, this too is for the good. And amazingly, God honored his faith by continually providing miracles for Nachum. 
In this week's Torah reading, we see how Joseph's this too is for the good type of faith was rewarded and how his fortunes changed. But first he had to wait two more years in prison. According to the sages, Joseph had to wait those two years because of a small failing in his bitachon. Let me explain. Our Torah portion begins with the words, it happened at the end of two years. Two years after the cupbearer's release. He finally got around to mentioning Joseph to Pharaoh. The Midrash learns from this that Joseph had to spend those extra two years in prison because he said to the chief butler, the cupbearer, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house for I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. Genesis 40 verses 14 to 15. The Midrash Rabbah says, two years were added to his suffering. This is difficult to understand. What was wrong with Joseph asking the cupbearer to mention him to use his influence to get him out of jail? Does this imply that we should never ask for help or use normal means to meet our needs, but only rely on God for everything? For example, should a person refuse to see a doctor when he is sick or to take medicine when he needs it, lest that betray some lack of faith? Not at all. The intention of the Midrash is not that Joseph should not have made mention to the cupbearer, but rather he is punished for relying on the cupbearer and Pharaoh rather than on Hashem. And this is one of the great principles of Bitachon. Everything comes from Hashem. Since everything comes from Hashem, a person should use all normal means at his disposal to accomplish his objective. But he must remember that his success or failure ultimately are with God and depend completely upon God. For example, a person breaks his leg. He should not lay at home and wait for a miracle to heal the leg. Relying on miracles is actually forbidden by the Torah, as our master teaches. Instead, he should go to the doctor, get the leg set, get a cast, take whatever medicine and rest he needs. But he should never suppose that the healing of his leg depends on these things. Rather, they depend only upon God, who can work through these things to heal him or not. So in view of this, there was nothing wrong with Joseph making mention of his plight to the cupbearer. But what he did wrong was to pin his hopes on the cupbearer. This thought brings us to the next principle of bitachon, and that is not to rely on man. Number three, we do not rely upon flesh and blood. King David says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. This reminds me of a Hasidic story about one of the grandsons of Baal Shem Tov. This particular chassid lived in a certain village in Eastern Europe, I don't know, entrusting himself, his family, and his welfare to Hashem. 
But on a certain era of Shabbat, he hit a low point. He had no money whatsoever to bring his family anything for Shabbat. And he was reluctant to accept charity. But in a moment of despair, a moment of weakness, he said to those gathered in the synagogue for Kabbalat Shabbat, Don't you think it's a shame that a grandson of the holy Baal Shem Tov should be so destitute that he has no money for Shabbat food for his family and no one in this community helps? Immediately, people were conscience-stricken, and they agreed at once that right after Shabbat, they would put together a charity effort and fundraiser to support the man's family. The old chassid was then conscience-stricken and ashamed that, instead of relying on Hashem, he had turned to flesh and blood. What is worse, he had invoked the name of his illustrious ancestor, the Baal Shem Tov, to persuade them to give him charity. He was so overcome by remorse that he begged Hashem, Please, Lord, let them all forget their promises to me. Then a miracle happened. After Shabbat, no one remembered the promises they had made, and the community never did offer him charity. Perhaps Joseph did slip into relying on man a little bit. One thing is certain. Whenever we put our trust in human beings we are disappointed. No one is perfect, and no one is perfectly good. If we place our trust in our employer, our spouse, our parents, our children, our friends, our pastor, our rabbi, our brothers and sisters and Messiah, it doesn't matter how good and holy, that's the wrong place to put trust, and we will be disappointed. This is what the prophet Jeremiah says alluding to the words of Psalm 1. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. On the other hand, as I mentioned, Joseph was actually doing the right thing by mentioning his plight to the cupbearer. Because the Torah teaches us not to rely on miracles. We are not to stand idly by and wait for a miracle to happen, or intentionally place ourselves in some danger with the expectation that God will intervene and perform a miracle on our behalf. That's not how it works. Yeshua and the sages teach that this is what it means when Moses says, do not test the Lord your God. And this is our next principle of bitachon. Number four, we do not rely on miracles. This sounds counterintuitive in the midst of a teaching all about trusting in God and not on man or natural means. I can best illustrate it with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, when threatened with the fiery furnace, testified to Nebuchadnezzar, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But 
even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Daniel 3, 17 and 18. They had complete trust that God was able to deliver them, but they conceded that he might not. They did not volunteer to be thrown into the fiery furnace. So in that respect, I would argue that when Joseph asked the cupbearer to remember him in his plight, he was using the means at his disposal, not waiting around for a miracle, but doing his best in his situation. And after two years, Joseph was miraculously released from prison. You know what happens next. Joseph's sudden reversal of circumstance, from the least to the greatest, from the lowest to the highest, from the last to the first, illustrates the gospel principle of the first and the last, which our master teaches. And it makes it easy to see how all the bad things that happened to Joseph were actually for the good. Ordinarily, however, it's not so easy to see how bad things contribute to the good. And this brings us to the next principle of Bitachon. Number five, reward, punishment, and the ultimate good may not be revealed in this world. The sages speak of two types of miracles, revealed miracles and concealed miracles. A revealed miracle is one in which it's obvious that God intervened in a supernatural way. A concealed miracle is one in which God's providential hand or intervention is not so obvious. The same principle applies to reward and punishment and the ultimate hope that God works all things together for the good. To have bitachon, a person must believe that there is reward and punishment and the ultimate revelation of the good outside of this world of concealment. That might mean in the afterlife, whether in Gehenna or Ganaden, in the kingdom or in the world to come. Those who suffer unjustly in this life will be recompensed in the next. As Abraham said to the rich man in torment, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. Luke 16, 25. To possess full bitachon, a person must know that we are only seeing a small portion of the whole picture here, just a fraction of the whole existence of a person's being. In this world, it appears that God is unjust or unconcerned because we observe that the wicked prosper, the righteous suffer, innocent people suffer great harm, innocent children suffer terrible afflictions, truth is cast down, and so forth. But there is a correction for all of this outside of this world of concealment in the hereafter, and that's a fundamental principle of Bitakon. In the Joseph story, the good for which all the bad things had come upon Joseph becomes patently clear after he is able to rise in power over Egypt and save the world. 
But that's now that's not how life ordinarily works. For most of us, personal suffering does not result in becoming a powerful administrator over a world superpower with the ability to save millions of lives. So it's not so easy to understand why do these bad things happen? We have to remember that the good might not be revealed in our lifetime within this world of concealment, and it might not be revealed on this side of eternity. Joseph trusted that everything comes from God for the good, even prior to seeing the good. In other words, his faith did not result from his sudden reversal and rise to power. It was already there. He was not paralyzed with sorrow and self-pity prior to his exaltation because he had complete trust already. It's easy to have bitachon when you're on top of the world and things are going well. It's not so easy when your life feels like it's falling apart. The Bible tells us the story of a righteous man named Job. He was blessed with an abundance of every good thing. Then, in a single day, disaster struck. He lost everything, both property and family. Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job understood that he was not entitled to anything. Every person comes into the world without anything, and every person leaves without anything. Who are we to demand our rights? Joseph had the same attitude. The Lord gave him status and prestige in his father's household, and the Lord took it away. He gave him success in Potiphar's household and took it away. But Joseph remained unwavering in his confidence in God's goodness. Look, life is a game of hide and seek. God is hidden. The good is hidden. And we are the seekers. To play the game, you have to actively look for the good and choose to see the good. The real secret is to enjoy the game. Let's review the principles of Bitachon that we've learned from the Joseph story already. Number one, Bitachon, trusting, believes that everything, good and bad, comes from Hashem. Number two, Bitachon believes that God is good even when bad things happen. God is good and will bring good out of the bad. Number three, Bitachon does not rely on man or the natural order for success at all. We place Bitachon in God alone and not in man. Since everything comes from Hashem, a person must remember that his success or failure ultimately are with God and depend completely upon God, even if they come through the agency of man, such as a doctor or other type of help. Number four, Bitachon does not rely on miracles. A person should not wait around for God to miraculously intervene, but should do what he or she can along the way to meet his own needs and those of others, so long as he remembers that his success comes from God. We shouldn't test 
the Lord by relying on miraculous interventions. God is able to save, but even if he does not, he's still God and still good and still trustworthy. Finally, number five, Bitochon believes that we are not seeing the whole picture here. Reward, punishment, and the ultimate good may not be revealed in this world. The final accounting for reward and punishment are reserved for the final judgment, and we aren't there yet. Therefore, we might not always see the good in this world or in our lifetimes, because the ultimate good is reserved for Gan Eden, for the Messianic era, and for the world to come. It all sounds so easy, but it's not. Because we live in the world of concealment, we are continually slipping back beneath the surface of the illusion that this world is the real world. We are constantly falling back into the dream and forgetting God and forgetting that God is in control and that we can trust him and rely upon him for the good, no matter what happens. It's not easy to do at all, but you can start small. Our master Yeshua teaches us that we need only have the faith of a mustard seed to see God's hand in our lives. Here's a secret about the mustard seed. Even though it's the smallest seed, it becomes the biggest plant in the garden and takes over the entire garden. Likewise, when we make room in our world for putting our trust and confidence in God, even if only just a little bit, that seed of faith can grow and ultimately take over our whole experience of life. When that happens, we will transcend the world of illusion and walk on top of the water like our Master Yeshua. Take on my yoke and learn from me and find rest for your soul.